All right, so what we're celebrating today is actually a historical event. All right? Uh, and I would uh, say this morning, it is the defining historical event in all of history. And we announce it and celebrate it. We said this morning, like Zach said, I say he is risen, and you say, risen indeed, right? And uh, we kind of mark it that way. Well, where did that all come from? Where did we get that? How did, we, how did that idea and tradition, where did that shape all come from? And um, since we've been in the study of First Peter, I thought it'd be uh, good to take Peter himself and go back to one of what I think is uh, the most uh, forging events in the New Testament in the book of Acts. And we find this account um, in Acts chapter 4, and it crystallizes the impact and the reality of Jesus's resurrection. So the account starts out in actually Acts chapter 3, and the stories of Peter and John. And Peter and John are going to the temple, and they are going to share about how Jesus has risen from the dead. And so they come through this gate. The gate's called the Gate Beautiful. And at the Gate Beautiful, there is a beggar there. The beggar has been a guy who's been crippled since birth. And so he is standing there, and he is uh, holding either out a cup or a plate or whatever they held out, asking for alms or for some money or some food that he can get by. And Peter and John come by. Uh, this guy has always been there. They probably knew of this guy from before. And so they're coming to the gate. And it says that uh, when he had asked them for alms, Peter and John said, look at us. And then the text goes on to say this, and he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver or gold, but what I do have, I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong and leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. And they recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. They're like, what is that guy doing walking, let alone hopping or leaping around? Like, where is... And so, obviously, a big crowd gathers. If you uh, follow along in the text, it says later the, the account records that the captain of the guard and the Sadducees, it says they were greatly annoyed, right? I bet you they were, right? They were greatly annoyed at what Peter and John were doing. And so they drug them before the Sanhedrin and they were asked to give an account for their actions. So here we are, this beggars at the gate, Peter and John walk by. They say, hey, we don't have anything to give you, but what we do have we'll give you in the name of Jesus Christ, stand up and walk. And so they pick him up. He walks. They go leaping in. The crowd follows the Temple court does not like that, so they immediately get swooshed right in front of the Sanhedrin. So the Sanhedrin is the ruling council. And then in Acts chapter 4, it says this, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by, by what means this man has been healed, he says, Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, very seeker-friendly message here, right? whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. 
This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. I want to suggest that this became ground zero. All right? We know of ground zero as in our culture and terminology, 9-11, right? But this was ground zero for him. Why is this account so significant? Why, why did it catch our attention? Well, this is right here, what you see, the very first significant test of the claims of the resurrection of Jesus. This is really the first place where it hits the fan, right? Where it pops and goes and it's either going to go one way or the other and you have some incredibly powerful competing forces uh, in this. And it's deeply intriguing. Uh, C.S. Lewis, Josh McDowell, and so many others have pointed out that Christianity as a movement started in the most unlikely of places, Jerusalem. And you'd say, well, isn't that the most likely place because that's where it all happened? Well, it's actually not because it was the place that was the most hostile, the most opposed to the success of the new movement. There were some very powerful forces at work that wanted to shut this thing down fast. And they were working at it. They had killed Jesus. The apostles had been in hiding behind locked doors in fear of the same fate. And they all, all they had to do in this situation here that you see up on the screen, all they had to do was uh, to just shut this whole nonsense down, was to take, and take Jesus' mangled carcass, take it and throw it onto the floor and say, there's the body, that's the end of the story, we're over this nonsense, right? But there was no body that they could produce. Well, what is, what's going on here? It also has to be understood in this context that these aren't the only powerful people at work. It is also an absolute best interest of Pilate and the Roman government to produce a body as well which the recent uh, movie that's just outrisen, if some of you have seen that, it goes into great lengths to explore. What's even more fascinating about this count is not what is said, but what isn't said. Right? You ever found in life that sometimes what isn't said is the more powerful piece to the equation? I think that's true here as well. Although the producing of a body would have been in the absolute best interest of the Sanhedrin and the absolute best interest of the Roman government, they do not only not produce a body, but there's not even a counter accusation. You would think at this point that someone out of the 70 that comprise the Sanhedrin would have thrown the counter accusation, of course there's no body because you guys stole it. Right? Wouldn't that make sense? And yet, there's not a peep in that direction. Think for just a second how astounding this is. This is Peter and John. Right? These are not nobodies. The Sanhedrin knows who they are. They've been around. They've walked with Jesus for three years. If anybody had stolen the body, it certainly would have been them. Or they would have at least been party to or in the know of who actually did it. Right? Because they formed that inner circle. And they could have easily 
refuted what the Sanhedrin was trying to say. Now, what the Sanhedrin could have done, what they, uh, you would think they would respond, uh, they could have easily had the Roman guard that had guarded the tomb come and testify against them that it was these men, Peter and John, who had come and stolen the body. Although they have a little problem here. You ever, you ever when you were a kid, lie to your dad? Right? And you try to put on a brave face and you try to get away with it. But it isn't long before your, your story starts to crumble. Right? Kind of thing. <laughs> I didn't. Bowen, you're innocent. We're good. Okay. Your dad loves you. You're awesome. Yeah, there we go. Right? And so you're, you're sitting there and, and it, it just kind of crumbles. Well, this is kind of happening in the Sanhedrin. They could have brought the guard in, but then if you read in Matthew 18, they would have had to explain. Nathan Reber came running up after second service because he had been reading Matthew 18. He goes, Steve, Steve, Steve. They couldn't say anything because they had paid the guards off. And I go, exactly, Nathan. I said, that's pretty cool. I said, they, they, they couldn't because what are they going to do? Bring in the garbs they had bribed, right? To say that the body had been stolen. How do they get around this catch-22 that they're caught in? You find out they don't know how because they don't know what to say. Of course, then the other question is, how did they, Peter and John, actually get by a Roman guard? And why the Roman guard had not been put to death for allowing something like that to happen is even more of a mystery. And so it is the things that aren't said in this story that jump out at you as things are going, wow, I had not put all those pieces together. But on trial is the issue of whether Jesus is actually really, in fact, risen from the dead or not. And if they, Peter and John, had been in the know, right? Do you think they would have claimed this miracle in the name of a dead guy whose body they had stolen? Oh, yeah, we ripped the body off and we tucked it under a garage somewhere. But, yeah, he did it, right? Do you think that would have stood the test of the pressure they were under? I don't think so. It's just contrary to everything we know about human nature and and how we operate. They were doing something extraordinarily uh, in terms of how they were talking to the Sanhedrin. And it just defies all probability. What was their actual statement? Look at the statement again. Make sure we got it up there. Peter says, rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead. That's the actual claim right there. This Jesus who you crucified, God has raised him from the dead. And by him, by this Jesus, this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there's not a peep. The Sanhedrin doesn't know what to say. They don't rail. They don't do anything. The silence is astounding. Don't you think at least one of them would have blown up? Right? One of them would have accused. In fact, they had a guilty conscience. They were caught because they knew they had paid the guards off. They knew there was no body. They knew what had happened at the grave. And so they were completely caught as to what to say in this situation. In fact, the very opposite occurs of what you expect to occur. They look at Peter and John 
They see their boldness, and the text says they were amazed. I bet they were. Right? They were amazed at the response of these guys. They recognized them as men who had spent their time with Jesus. There's another aspect to this story that I think is also extremely compelling, and that is the picture of Peter and John and the beggar. You can see a rendition of that up there. Okay. There's, there's this man who was healed. Now, here's the thing. This dude was not Photoshopped, so he looked better. Right? They didn't have that back then. They didn't, couldn't prop him up and say, oh, yeah, he's healed. Oh, he fell over, sorry. Uh, you know, it wasn't that kind of deal. He was well-known. Everybody who would have come to the temple would have, would have and did recognize him. It, it's just like street people today in, in Mill Creek. We drive around. There's certain street people you recognize. One of them's my buddy. I spend time with him. I go down. If I see him on the corner, I roll the window and, hey, and he goes, hey, Mitch, how you doing? And off we go. And I sometimes stop and I'll buy him some food. And, and, and you know, I, I get to know him. But in this story, they're not whizzing by him in their cars, right? They're walking, Okay. They they would see him every day on the way to the temple. And here's the other thing. They knew his voice. Because why? He called out for alms. And after a while, you start to recognize voices. Pam and I were walking down around our neighborhoods the other day, and we saw this guy pop out, and then he went behind a bush and popped out again. I thought, wow, that's weird. And later, we found out it was a couple from church that lived right by us. We didn't know they lived by us. And he said, I heard your voice. He said, I heard you laughing. I have kind of a distinct laugh. He said, I knew that had to be you, but I didn't know, what were you doing walking down my street, right? And, uh, and it was kind of with this beggar. They recognized his voice from calling out for alms. And they knew one other thing about this guy. He was old. The text says he was over 40 years old. Oh, the shame. All right? But what that meant was he had been stuck in that state for a long time. And in that culture, a person over 40, it was all downhill from there, right? You know, like when we hit 40, um, you know, and and suddenly you become aware of things. Stuff starts being a takeaway, not an ad, right? Teeth go, hair goes, belly goes, joint goes, memory goes, eyesight goes, hearing goes. I remember when I turned 40 and uh, I was at... North Shore Baptist at the time, and Jan Heading, I was a pastor. He's a friend and mentored me for 25 years. When I turned 40, I, I came into his office just kind of glum and bluesy and, you know, oh, woe is me kind of thing. And Jan says, hey, bud, what's wrong? And I said, man, I, you know, turning 40, just like, wow. And he goes, yeah, I know. And I said, you know, he says, what do you feel? I said, well, it's kind of like I, I started this picture where, I, you know, it's not the last hill, but you're on the hill before it, and you can see the last hill, Right? He goes, yeah, man, I know he's commiserating with me. And I said, you know what was really tragic? He goes, what? I said, you were on the other hill. Okay. <laughs> he threw a book at me. I went running out of the... <laughs> right? But it kind of comes to the place where you kind of look at this guy and go, wow, he's old. Here's the point. In Israel at that time with that guy crippled, he'd been crippled from birth. There's no way that dude's getting up and walking. It's not going to get better for him. It's going to get worse. And they all knew that. So they're looking, watching him leap and jump, right? He's just like, wow, check it out. Yeah, can we do that in church? I guess so. All right. And they were the same way, like, what is going on here? 
And and they come to this moment where they're going, wow, a miracle's happened. This, This is crazy. And the thing was, everybody knew it. Here he is. He's standing before the Sanhedrin, not only just healed, but healed and leaping with joy. So we come back to the Sanhedrin, and it says they had nothing to say in opposition. They couldn't come up with anything that they could throw at it. Why is this so stunning? Remember who this is. These are the same cold-blooded, calculated, scheming, cutthroat, politically shrewd manipulators who put Jesus to death that could play backdoor politics like a game of chess. If there was an angle to work on here, they would know how to work it. They would know how to come back. They would know how to tip it so they get it off the target, right? And they didn't know how to tip it. This is beyond astounding. What, what did they actually do? It says that they took Peter and John. It says they kicked them out of the meeting for a while. And they said, their actual question is, what shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. Duh. That's not in there. That's Mitchell's translation. The duh, right? But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. They feared the name of Jesus. And you can tell right here, they they are backtracking. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. So they did threaten them, but it was a hollow threat. They simply could not refute what had happened. Even they, the most opposed of enemies, could not counter what everyone knew to be true. And then the response from Peter and John is also interesting But Peter and John answered them. They come back and say, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must be the judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And the question on the table this morning for us to consider is what is it that they saw and heard? What was it that changed and took Peter and John and turned them uh, into to such bold proclaimers of this truth. You know, think about the change in the disciples. We find them locked in, in rooms, and they're hiding because they'd killed Jesus. They sure they were next. Peter uh, is the one who had the huge meltdown, had denied Jesus three times, and at the end, to confirm the whole thing, it says he called down cursings and swearings on his head. We tamed that down so bad, right? He was in full flight mode. He was going 180 away from this whole thing as fast as he could go. How do you explain that behavior to suddenly now Peter and John are standing boldly in front of that same Sanhedrin group with confidence and clarity, and they say, well, you can tell us what you want, but we aren't changing because we know what we've seen and heard. How does a human person switch that flip, or flip that switch, that that backwards, sorry? Well, here's the proclamation. What had they seen and heard? Well, what they had seen and heard was the resurrected Christ. They had been walking with Jesus and talking to him. This same Jesus who three days earlier had been crushed and crucified had now been among them and had proved himself to them and they were different men because of it and everybody noticed it. Everybody around them knew it. And so it is today. 
We make the same proclamation that of what we have seen and heard. You know, when you, you come to a church, uh, any church, we, we kind of look like pretty normal people, right? Same people you'd run into the grocery store, same people at the hardware store or down at the library or that kind of stuff. But we are unique in that we've also run into the resurrected Christ and have never been able to get over him either. Okay? We have been shocked by his presence. Some of us startling so, some of us a whisper, but we've come away going, God has spoken to me. I can never be the same. Here's the thing. When you come to church, we don't just know about him. We know him. Okay? We know who he is. We know who it is that has talked to us. And we want to offer the same opportunity to you that, have, uh, that was offered to us. Come and see. Somewhere in all our trails, there was a, hey, come and see. Come and check it out. Come and take a look. I remember when that happened to me. I, I thought Christianity was the most Fruit Loops thing I'd ever seen in my life, even though I come out of a, that background. And, and, but when I ran into people, I knew they had something different that I did not have. At the time, I didn't know what it was. I now know it was the Holy Spirit, but I didn't know what it was. There was something incredibly attractive that I saw. And... Uh, and so if you're new to this whole Christian thing or, or if you've been away from the Lord for a long time, uh, you're here because it's Easter and it's the right thing to do and, and you're wondering how to find your way back or you just have some honest questions. You, you've got some questions. There's been no place uh, to really throw them out. It's not, this isn't exactly conversational here this morning. And, but you've got questions and you wish you had a place you could just ask your questions. I'd like to invite you to Alpha. You can see up on the screen, Alpha is going to start uh, two Sundays from now, Sunday, April 10th. We go from just 5 to 7 in the afternoon. So it's just two hours. And it's really a fun format. We have a meal, so food is good. Right, guys? We have a good meal, and we have a meal together. We watch a video. As we watch the video, then uh, when the video is done, we sit around tables together, and we d- throw out questions, and we, we dialogue together on what we just uh, learned on the video. And uh, it, it's... If you have an interest, what, what I'd like to do is just encourage you. If this is something that's interesting to you. Uh, and by the way, if you have questions, even if they're hostile, it's okay. You can throw the hostile ones out on the table. All right. But if you have an interest in that, you could take your bulletin. Uh, and in the bulletin is that card. Right. And Zach always tells us to fill them out, but we never do. So here's a chance you could actually fill it out. All right. But take that card and it, all you have to do is put your name and then some kind of contact information like your phone number or uh, email address so that we can get a hold of you and just put on there, interested in Alpha. Just, put, just write that on there and then you can drop them off at the offering boxes located by each of the doors there. And this week we'll get in touch with you, probably me, call you up and just say, hey, do you have any questions? Here's what we're going to do. You don't have to bring anything. Just come on Sunday night the 10th. And we'll, we'll kick it off and you can be part of our group and join us for it. And we'd love, we'd love to have you come. Love to have you be there to consider the same things that the Sanhedrin was being forced to consider in this uh, chapter of Acts chapter 4. He is risen was the claim of Peter and John. The reason that man could jump and leap was because the resurrected Christ had healed him. Jesus does the same things today. There are many of us in here who have been healed. We may have not been crippled physically, but we were crippled emotionally. We were crippled relationally. We were crippled experience-wise, and Jesus has brought us through on the other side. And we have testimony of that. We have stories of that. Uh, Mine is of a story of 3 o'clock in the morning in a powdered milk factory. All right? 
Someday later, we'll tell that. But we've met him. And so this morning, as we come for Easter, again, what we want you to know, what we proclaim at this church, is that Jesus has risen from the dead. And he's there. All you have to say is, Lord Jesus, you know what? I hear what Steve's saying. I know that text. I'm listening to what he's saying. I don't know you. I'd like to ask you into my life. I recognize I'm, I've, I've fallen short. I recognize I don't have a relationship with you and I need to. Would you come into my life and wash me of my sins and forgive me? And sex says, anybody who calls on his name will not be put to shame. That's all we have to offer you is the Lord Jesus. That's the only thing we have to offer, but it's the best thing we have to offer. Would you join me in prayer? Father, thanks so much for this story. It was so much fun to walk through it. And again, my job isn't to convict. Uh, convict or uh, to sell. My job is just put the story out there and it's your job to validate it. And so I pray this morning by your spirit, you would tap. Uh, We have all kinds of walls, uh, all kinds of places that resist you. But sometimes when your voice just cuts right behind those defenses and says, knock, knock, this is me. And scripture says, if anyone will open the door, he would come in and sit down and have a meal, just like we were talking at Alpha. Lord, you'll come in and talk to us. Would you do that this morning? And for those of us who know you, Lord, may you grant us a boldness like Peter and John to proclaim not what we think about, but what we really know, that we actually know you and that it's changed our life. And we ask this in your name. Amen.